Welcome to Bold Becoming Identity Retooled. This podcast is where we explore the landscape of the immensity of landmines that exist for people who've lost their sense of identity, who've been shaken to the core, and are relearning who they are now that a part of them is lost. It's stories of how people manage this struggle, regain their footing, and the gifts they've discovered along the way. Thanks for tuning in. Hi, Pam, Dr. Pam. Hi. Today we have Dr. Pamela Jackson-Smith on Bold Becoming to talk about super major bunch of identity losses sort of dogpiled on top of each other. So I'm super interested in hearing your story, Dr. Pam. And just for the audience, you became widowed. Yes. Then you had a fall that resulted in a TBI, a traumatic brain injury. Yes. If that doesn't mess up your identity, I don't know what does. <laughs> then, you, then you had open heart surgery. Yes. And then somehow, this is where you'd have to fill in the details. Well, all of it, I want the details. But then somewhere in there, like I think when you were in the hospital, you decided, well, I think I'm just going to retire. Yes. <laughs> from my hospital bed from, oh God. <laughs> so these are well this is a um perfect podcast for you to be on to tell your story so I'm just going to ask you to jump in where you'd like all right <clears throat> so I am Dr. Pam and I like to say I'm your favorite life coach um I enjoy life coaching and um I came into life coaching through a series of events. I have a mental health background because I have a master's in mental health and I have an education where my concentration is counseling. So three and a half years ago now, my husband died and we were married 18 years and it was... uh, a very blissful marriage. He was the love of my life. And I met him late in life after I had uh, sown my wild oats and all those good things. And he was retired and I was still working, but we had such a a great life together. And um, we really enjoyed each other. He was a retired New York City Police Department detective. And he had also worked extensively with the youth under in his role as a youth officer with the police department. And so I was also working with youth and we worked together in youth ministry and um, he mentored boys. I mentored girls. Wait a minute. So if we, after he was retired and then he was working, he, volunteering with youth in the ministry? Yes. He worked with youth as a police officer because he was the youth officer. For when he was before he retired. Before he retired. Okay. And so when he retired, he moved to Florida to Palm Coast, where I am. And that's you. Yes, yes. And um, wait, can you tell me the secret to finding the love of your life? Being prepared mm-hmm. mentally and spiritually and emotionally, because if you're a mess, it's gonna be hard for someone 
hard for you to attract someone who's not also a mess. Right, right. Yes. Likes, likes attract. Yes. Yeah, they say opposites, but likes really do attract each other. Mm-hmm. And so uh, he became ill and eventually he was in the hospital, the nursing home, and then in the nursing home was where he had a heart attack and he passed. Oh. And so... I had been, you know, with him as much as possible with me working and at the hospitals taking days off because the doctors are there early and I wanted to be there to speak to his doctors because he went through a period where he couldn't speak. And so I, you know, had to be there as his advocate and, you know, families and loved ones have to advocate for their loved ones because you don't, you know, you don't always get the best outcome so anyway I, I I was a medical social worker and I um you know it's like yes we want the professionals to do their job and the family is part of the team yes and some and way. sometimes the providers get uppity about that but oh mm-hmm. well yeah yeah so I was there and um I wasn't there when he passed, though. I was there the night before. And after he passed, I felt like my life had fallen apart. You know, we had worked to become one. Mm -hmm. And so we did things so well as a couple. And then now here I am. Am I now a half of a person? And... So I had to wait, 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 before you tell us how you fixed it. Okay. Describe more about being a whole person and then all of a sudden being this half. Just go a little more into detail because this is this is really, I mean, because this is identity loss, right? Yes. You had you had yes. you had created this identity. You had worked so hard to become this like loving partnership where everything was like merged. Yes. And then it's gone, which means your identity is somewhat the the foundation for the identity is gone. Is that like, am I describing it? You're describing it very well. So, so tell me what the details of that is losing that foundation. What changed in your day to day and what, how did it feel different and how did you think differently? Well, I, there was an example of something that happened. <clears throat> we had become a part of a couple's ministry and we had never been able to go to the annual conference that was held like on an island somewhere. And one of my thoughts was now I'm able to go to the conference but I can't go because I'm no longer, it's just me. Okay, so you, just, you lost, just cut out. You can't go because you're no longer a couple? Right, and now it's just me. So I no longer had the wife status, mm-hmm. you know, the best friend status. And I didn't feel single anymore, you know, because someone asked me, So how is it to be single? I said, I'm not single because I'm still attached to him and all the things that he brought to my life. 
You know, that doesn't just go away because he died. And there's so much to sort through. Now, how am I going to function with just me? So now I have to make all the decisions. I don't get to say, what is your feelings about this? Or let me just let me just interrupt. So this is in, in identity transformation. It's it's changing. It's changing major roles, major role sh- changes, major role shifts. Yes. Yes. And so as I'm going through the process, I'm thinking about all the different things that changed. You know, he wouldn't be home when I came home from work anymore and have dinner ready or be thinking about dinner and having plans for the evening. You know, so now I'm give me a, Give me a li- longer li- laundry list. Um, so he would plan the meals. He did the grocery shopping because he liked going to the grocery store three or four times a week. I'm the <laughs> once a month person if I can. But now that I have a healthy eating lifestyle, I have to go more often because I have to get the fruit, fresh fruits and vegetables. But he would go three or four times a week, you know, and he would see the person preparing um, food, they would have like a chef in the grocery store making something, he'd bring the card and the ingredients home and tell me all about it. So he was not there doing those things, um, not there taking care of our finances because he was the one who paid all of the household bills. You know, we had our own money each, but we also had a household to run financially. He did that. He no longer doing that. So now I've got to sit down and figure out how I'm going to, what kind of system am I going to have? Am I going to use the same system he had or use mine? That changed. I have two stepsons. Mm -hmm. And so trying to figure out my relationship with them, how is it going to change? Is it going to be the same? You know, what's going to be different? And so We had that. And then I always got his opinion about so many things. Mm -hmm. And then I depended on him for the, um, for politics because he was watching the news all the time and he would explain whatever was going on. I didn't have to pay as much attention to the news because he would give me the updates every day on what was going on. And so now all that's gone and I have to do all this for myself now and I had to figure it out so how did you figure it out and how did it feel going through that change it was very very difficult going through that because he was gone and a part of me went with him I felt the part of me that was so loving and the part that really cared about him you know now what do I do because I spent so much time doing that because he was sick for a while you know so what do I do with all those feelings now Mm. and um just in my head going to work and just trying to make it all work together just trying to make it work so you you had to continue with what you were doing with your life, your your career life, 
Mm -hmm. And then you had, had to add on all this other stuff that he was doing. Yeah. The, role, the roles that he was doing that, that like were part of your life. Yes. The upkeep of the house, the lawn, the pool, the, you know, whatever needed to be done. Now I had to make sure I was keeping up with all those things because he was at home. He did so much of that kind of stuff and um, trying to make that work with work. Now, mind you, I didn't meet him until I was 42 years old. So I was single doing all these things for myself. But, you know, once we got married, it was so, it was so helpful to relinquish a lot of that stuff to him. I didn't have to worry about it. And so mm -hmm. now I got to take it all up again and figure out, do I want to stay in this big house? Do I want to downsize to a smaller house? Oh, and that's what I ended up doing. I did downsize to a smaller place. How did that, how did you make that decision? When I had to call somebody the third time for the pool pump. You're like, <laughs> I don't need a pool anymore. I don't need a pool. I had the pool pump replaced. There was a leak in the pool. My water bill was sky high because oh. we didn't know where the leak was. I had to hire somebody to come in in scuba gear and go down <laughs> to the bottom of the pool to find the leak and then patch the leak, you know, and he had like his mobile dressing room thing out on my patio where he changed into the scuba gear. It was just too much. It was just too much. And our house was old. So it was time to replace things, you know. And so I was like, God forbid if the air conditioner goes out you know, what am I going to do with the plumbing and all that? And so I decided, you know what, I'm leaving. I'm just going to get a smaller place. I'm going to pay rent and let somebody else worry about the upkeep. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I did. Mm -hmm. And friends and family all helped me with my move and making my decision. I had a lot, a lot of support, lots of family support. What does that look like? My step. I, I mean, to you, it might be all normal, but some of us don't have like this super strong support system. Okay. What does a super strong support system look like? Well, I have a niece that I helped raise. Mm -hmm. And so she was right there for me and her son. They lived 30 minutes from me, but they were there like every day they could be there. Mm -hmm. And my little nephew stayed with me for weeks at a time in the summer. My husband passed in May and then he came and stayed with me. I have other family members. I have some brothers who live like 30 minutes from me. Then I have my church members who were calling and coming by, coworkers who were calling me and telling me uh, this one particular person would call me in the morning and ask me, did you eat? And then wow. she would just show up with breakfast for me and my nephew. A coworker? A coworker. Can I sign up to work there? <laughs> no. <laughs> yes. And then my sorority sisters, they mm. were taking turns cooking and bringing food to last for two days at a time. So I didn't have to worry about that. I had a sorority sister who bought me like books of stamps so that I could mail stuff. You know, you don't even think about that. So I was like, stamps, you put them in a card. And I had all the thank you cards for all the stuff that people did right after his death. 
you know, and so that was my support system. And they were just there. And I have always been the person to help all the people. And so now I have all the people helping me and I had to learn to accept the help. To allow. Allow them to show me the love that I had been given to other people. And what did that feel like? Wonderful. And I got to the place where I could really accept it and not feel guilty. And it was just a good feeling. And I have some really good friends because they were with me every step of the way. A friend who came and sat with me and we made notes after notes on what I needed to do and all that stuff. And so that really, really helped me. People checking on me. My husband had mentored a lot of youth as a police officer and a lot of them went into law enforcement and were living in New York. And so many came down for his service. And then they would call me to check on me. They still check on me. I get text messages. There was a street named after him right in Queens in New York and the police department and some of the elected officials had agreed on it. And it was a big ceremony and a celebratory basketball game because he was a basketball coach, all this in Queens, New York. And so I just had a lot of love and support. And I tell you, it so it was wonderful. I just see it as God moving in my life. Mm-hmm. Yes. Boy, that is one adequate support system. Yes, <laughs> yes, definitely. Yeah. And how did you do the grieving? I went for grief therapy. Yes, I found a grief therapist and I went because it was very difficult for me to just let it all out. You know, while he was sick, I would drive from my house to Orlando, it was like 60 miles. And sometimes I would cry all the way there, you know, and try to get myself together when I went into the hospital to see him. And I had already started my grieving process as he declined. Anticipatory grief. Yes, yes. And so then I um, had a grief therapist and she was very helpful to help me with what to expect, how to give myself grace, you know, why I owed it to myself to let it out and not hold it in. Yeah. What what was the reason that you wanted to hold it in just to keep going I didn't want to just fall apart I wanted to just be keep moving because I had to go to work and you know run the house and do all the things so I just wanted to just be able to just keep it moving just keep it moving and there were times I would have to remember to breathe it was just so heavy just so heavy Mm. yeah and she helped me a lot So we went from that in May of 2019 to December and I worked for the school district and I worked with the homeless education program and with the homeless children and their families. And so this is, this is in Florida. Yeah, Florida. Okay. Every school district in the United States has to have a point person for homeless education. Uh And so sometimes it's a one staff person 
that does that full time or somebody who wears many hats. And so I was the person for my school district. And um, I had started a program to get Christmas gifts for the homeless teens because everybody liked to buy toys like trucks and dolls and right. But then I would have these homeless teenagers who were 17, 18 years old who needed things. And so this one particular group had collected like a thousand dollars worth of gift cards and other a drone and all kinds of things that the older kids like. And a friend of mine went with me to pick the um, the items up. And when I got back to the school district office, I was walking in the parking lot and I tripped and there was nothing to grab onto. And I fell and hit my head on an iron bench. Oh. And that's how I suffered a traumatic brain injury. I had two brain bleeds. I had to have extensive dental work. Hit the front of your face. Yes. I hit your, like your right forehead. Here. Yeah. Your forehead and your right and eye. And my mouth. Yes, we went right here. And I broke an artery in my lip. I mean, in my gums and the blood was just pouring. I fell on the ground. I looked down and I was just in a pool of blood. I didn't know where the blood was coming from. And so we, they had to call the ambulance and get me to the emergency room and do all the stuff. And um, then they had to send me to another hospital because I needed to be with the um, neurologist neurosurgeon and all that. So I didn't have to have surgery. They were able to stop the bleeding. And I was in the hospital for, was it three weeks? I was there, mm -hmm. I remember for Christmas day because my niece and my youngest son, my youngest stepson brought dinner to my hospital room and we set up my room for Christmas and had our family dinner there. And I had a lot of um, vestibular issues with my balance. I um, had to have home health care because I couldn't lean forward um, and pick up stuff off the floor. And I was walking with a walker and um, couldn't take care of my cooking. I had to have assistance bathing. Then I started physical therapy, occupational therapy, and cognitive therapy because I had some problems with memory. Mm -hmm. And um, so I went through that. Hold on. Another, another problem I know was TBIs is anger. Did you have that symptom? No, no. My niece, who is my caregiver, and she is a certified nursing assistant, and she always tells me I'm, a, I'm such a nice patient. You're such a nice patient, auntie. Yeah, but I didn't have the anger. I That makes it easier for everyone. Yes, but I did feel bad about my memory. Oh, because, yeah. You know, and not being able to pull information quickly. Just, you know, trying to think of something and having, you know, I'm, I'm already older, you know, so you do have... <laughs> some situations going on with being, you know, with aging, but then with that problem, it was really hard, but something that I learned in life, because I grew up as a sickly kid, mm -hmm. you have to advocate for your health care, and I insisted that I got cognitive therapy and help with my memory, 
that was a priority to me, even if it wasn't going to be restored 100%, I wanted it to be worked on. And Good so for you, yeah, my home health care, I had a cognitive therapist to come to my house. Wow. Yes. Because, okay, so I mean, that concussions and, and traumatic, I don't know if concussion is a traumatic brain injury, but anyway, when things happen with your brain and then affect your thinking, either your judgment or your memory, that's, that's like a huge identity loss because yes. you, you kind of know who you were, but you can't access that part. Right. What was that like? Well, I learned early in that situation to decline doing things that oh, you just I, said like, no. I would just have to say no, like um, writing um, reference letters, you know, like working with the mentoring program and the girls and the boys getting ready for college. They needed letters. I just would have to say I'm not able to do it. I'm not able because I wasn't able to function like I had been used to functioning because I was an overachiever. I did everything 100% or more. <laughs> and so now I'm in this situation where I can't reach that. So instead of frustrated about it, I would just have to say no. But that made me feel bad because now I'm not, you know, I, I wouldn't um, have public speaking. I used to do a lot of public speaking. I didn't do public speaking for a while because I was just afraid that the thoughts wouldn't come fast enough. Right. So how did you, I'm just, I'm just like flashbacking back to all these kids with cerebral palsy in their wheelchairs that they would, it would take them so long to do just like, like get the spoon to their mouth. And, and they had to have so much patience. How did you have patience with yourself to, and, and to be able to say no? Because, you know, what, what was the gymnastics that you had to do? You know, being a high achiever to be able to say no and to be able to, I, I assume, ask for help too. It came through my support system. Oh, they would they encourage you. Me. They encouraged me. You know, if you can't just say no. You know, and I'm like, well, I really would like to do the letter. Well, if you can't do the letter, they can find somebody else. Just say no. You know, and with me not being able to do laundry, do dishes, cook, grocery shop, that kind of stuff, I had somebody here for like four hours a day. You know, and then my niece and then other friends would come and do things and tell me, just let us do it. I can remember one night I had to put my medication together and I had the box for a week, mm -hmm. like seven days, and I couldn't figure it out. And mm -hmm. I was in tears. Yeah. And I called to You my couldn't friends. figure it out, but you knew you couldn't figure it out. Because I remember yes. when my grandma started to lose her memory, she would be so upset because she could see that she couldn't remember and it was mm -hmm. like it's so frustrating yes and so I called and my two friends came and they looked at all the bottles and got it 
all figured out for me. And they made me feel good. You know, they didn't make me feel worse, any worse than I was feeling, but they were happy to do it, you know, and when the next time you need it done for next week, let us know. But I gradually became able to do it myself. I figured out a way I could do it. But that particular time, I was just really at a low point. I, I couldn't even figure out how to count my pills out. And here I am now, I'm a, I'm a certified life coach. Yes. Light at the end of the tunnel. The light at the end of the tunnel. So after all this is going on in 2020. During that, COVID. That, during COVID, COVID came and wow. it and was- you're, And awful. you're having all of these people coming and going. Yes. Wow, that must've really been- a tightrope. Yes, I had a sign up. So when they walked in my door, they had to go wash their hands in my bathroom and, you know, be have a mask and everything. So I was really precautious with that. Good. And then um, that September, I had gone to my cardiologist and the test showed that the mechanical heart valve that I'd had for 36 years was no longer functioning the way it should. And I needed to get wait. 36 years ago, you'd had a surgery to put in a mechanical heart valve. Okay. My aortic valve had calcified and it was the size of a drinking straw. And it was supposed to be the size of a quarter, Ooh. is what the doctor explained. And so I had that that valve all those years and it would click. So I would always wear a watch so that people would think it was my watch ticking because it sounded like a watch tick. Okay. So I had to get that removed. And so with COVID, family couldn't come with me. I had to go to the hospital in an ambulance for the ride because they sent me all the way over to the University of Florida to their hospital to a specialist to do the surgery. And um I had the surgery and then I came back to a hospital that was nearby and I had already started the retirement process through my um, job through the school district. And when I was at that next hospital, I decided, you know what, it's too much for me to be thinking about going back to work. I already well, started. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. How did, how did you almost start it? But then you're thinking about going back to work. What they do in the state of Florida, they have something called the DROP program where you can submit your retirement documents and then they allow you to work for five, up to five more years. Oh. And you're still accruing your pension, but, and you're also getting your paycheck. And so that was the program I was in and I planned to do five years, but I didn't make it the five years. I think I did like two and a half. And because of what I was going through with after the brain injury, now the heart surgery is just too much to try to go back to work. And so I had my niece to pick up the form and I filled it out and we took a snapshot on the phone and I emailed it in on October 30th, 2020. That was my retirement date. I didn't from, have to go to work. From your hospital bed? From my hospital bed. After open heart surgery. Yes. Yes. 
So. And that was such a hard time to be working anyway, you know, during COVID. Right. And what happened is I wasn't working from the time I had the brain injury um, anyway. And so um, while I was in the hospital in rehab, I contracted COVID and <laughs> I had to go in isolation for 10 days at the hospital. It was the day before my release and I had COVID. So I didn't have, well, I had what they call a mild version. I had the headaches and the coughing, but it also compromised one of my lungs. And so where I should have been more energetic and feeling better after my open heart surgery, I wasn't. I was still fatigued day after day after day after day. Yeah. And so I came home that November and in two weeks, my oldest brother died. Oh no! And then in the 13th of December, my youngest brother died. What? Yes. And I couldn't even go to my oldest brother's funeral because it was too soon after coming home from the hospital. My family begged me not to come. So I ended up going to my youngest brother's funeral and I went in the wheelchair. And this is in 2020 with COVID or 2021? It was 2020, December 2020. When it's really hard to go to funerals. Yes, to begin because with. If they had to be outside. They didn't have it in the building. So, right. yeah. Yeah. And then my brother-in-law died after that. Yeah. So I had those losses right there like that. And I continued to recuperate, having my physical therapy, occupational therapy, cognitive therapy. And so now that I'm retired, I'm trying to figure out what I wanna do. I had thought about opening up a um, mental health therapy practice, but I said, no, it's too much. So I started looking into life coaching. And by August of 20, July of 2021, I enrolled in a life coaching program. And in that program, I learned so much and it really pushed me so far ahead with my grief and recuperating and reestablishing my identity, repurposing my life, all of that helped, um, life coaching helped me with all of that. You, and, you sort of got a version of life coaching for yourself as you were training to become the coach? Yes. My yeah. life coach, who was the director and owner of the program, challenged me, um, encouraged me, helped me to see that I could do it. That, I mean, she just really made me feel empowered. You know, all of the things that I had been doing in the past, she helped me to realize I could still do those things. Transferable skills. Yes. And so I determined that I wanted to help women like me, women who were widows, women who were coming out of medical situations, women who are older in transition, trying to figure out what to do next. I said, I want to use my experience to help them, to let them know you can live all of your 
um, bad, all of your good days are not all behind you. You still mm -hmm. have good days ahead and trying to help them figure out their purpose and help them figure out, you know, what they want to do and how to go about doing it, coming up with goals and plans and being accountable and helping them to learn about mindset and how that works and how um, beliefs hold you back, where they start, how they affect you, how to overcome it. How, how you, you cut out for a minute, how beliefs hold you back is what you said? Yes, yeah. yes the limiting beliefs. Right. Now, what I'm curious is, why did you need so much encouragement? Because you already have a master's degree in mental health. So you already know how to counsel and help people. And was it because of your traumatic brain injury or what was? You can't counsel yourself. No, I know. Yeah. But, so... but to make it through the program, you said you got a lot of support that she said you're going to be able to do this. Yes. In my life coaching program, she incorporates self-development, like personal development, because a lot of what it takes to become a life coach is to believe, number one, that you can do it, you know, and to believe that you can make an impact on somebody else's life. You know, you have to have the courage to do that. You have to be able to identify fear and move beyond it. So I was going the steps that I now take women through with her as I'm okay. learning the, the skill set to be a life coach. Okay. So she, you go through the program to learn mm -hmm. how to do the program for your clients. Yes. And in, and in you going through the program, you had all this growth. And that's where you were like wondering if you're going to be able to do it. Right. I wanted to do it, but I couldn't figure out all the ins and outs, you know, because here I am um, with all this education, you know, master's, doctorate. I have all this doctorate. Education. Yeah. <laughs> so how am I going to do all this, um, all this, use all this? And so, but let me just point out because people with a master's and a doctorate don't just get up and do quick and dirty, right? Yes, right. You got to like really know that what you're doing is effective and know how to do it. Right. And whereas, a whereas a lot of people will just jump in there. You know, life coaches are a dime a dozen and yes. they don't have masters and doctorates in mental, in, you know, in psychology or mental health or anything. And right. So there's, there's, you know, mixing apples and oranges. And what I decided, I didn't want to have to work from a diagnosis. I didn't want to diagnose patients and create treatment plans from diagnosis and refer them for medication. That is a lot heavier than what I wanted to do. That's so therapy, coaching, right? That's therapy. That's so therapy. Do coaching, give guidance, right? You know, that's what I want. Decide. And then, and then for the people who need the therapy, you say, okay, this isn't this isn't what coaching's about. You need right. to therapy. I have no problem with referring someone 
to therapy if they need therapy, by all means. I mean, I have a therapist. I always believed in my craft, you know? So yeah. if a, all therapists should have a therapist, because you got to take yours somewhere. Yeah, and just yeah. about anybody could benefit from having a therapist. Yes. And a coach, you know? Yes. And yes. coaches have coaches. Yes. Yes. Wow. So let's see, what are we, what are we coming up on on time, time wise? Um, so I want you to like describe a little bit more what it, so I know that you were already in the process of retiring. You were anticipating it. You did it early. And, but even people who like do it on the timeline they're they're planning on sometimes have a little bit of an unexpected jolt afterwards. They're like, oh, I had no idea, whatever, whatever. So did you have any of that happen? Hmm, not really, because as I was healing, you know, from my injury and the surgery, I was in, in transition already, as yeah. I, yeah, I was already in a transitory state. So as I'm moving through the process and I'm feeling better, thinking better, you know, figuring out what I want to do, I kind of just slid into it. That makes you know, sense. Because I had that opportunity because I was recuperating. Right. And also, you it looks like you had like three different opportunities, actually four different opportunities to really look death in the face. And, and so that's what we call mortality motivation moments, mm -hmm. where you do start thinking differently about life and what you want to do with your life and what you want to get out of it. Because like, when, when a, a family member dies, especially like somebody close, like your spouse, mm -hmm. that's a mortality moment mm -hmm. where you, you start to really like, wow, life is, un, you know, we just don't know. Yes. And then, you know, your TBI, you could have been dead. Mm -hmm. Right. And so then, yes. then you're like, oh, I could have just been dead. I'm not dead. I'm going to work. I'm, I'm working to get better from this and then and then you start to sort of reprioritize things is that sort of yes I um, had a near-death moment when I was recovering from my heart surgery yeah and then it's, the heart um, surgery is another mortality yeah. moment um yeah. you know the heart is pretty essential to living <laughs> well I was encouraged by my family and friends to do some of the things that Larry and I had planned to do. So one of the first things I did was we had, we had, uh, I have friends, it's a couple that we would travel with. Mm -hmm. We were really good friends with them. And so I um, was talking. And so they said, well, you know, we had planned to go to Niagara Falls. So let's just go to Niagara Falls. So we had a group and we went, we traveled to Niagara Falls. And of course, at that time, I couldn't do all the walking. And so we, um, the hotel had a wheelchair and one of the guys in the group took responsibility for pushing me in the wheelchair around. And then I was able to finally found a, find a motorized scooter. And so mm -hmm. I could use that. And so that's 
what I did. Like in the airport, I get the wheelchair and then try to have a motorized scooter whenever I got to where I was going. And so I went on that trip. I went on a, a cruise with my family for the following Thanksgiving. And so I started to do some of the things that Larry and I had planned to do. You know, to get out of the house and get out of my surroundings and do something and see something different. And so I started to doing some travel and that helped a lot. That helped me. And the more I do it, the more I want to do it because I could find a way to do it. I remember I had a trip to South Beach in Miami and um, I could drive to Miami from where I am, but because I didn't want to drive alone, I flew down and I was able to maneuver. I figured out they had ballet parking at the airport right at the front door. And, you know, when I got there, I got the Uber and had the scooter and just had a ball. And so I was able to do some of the things that I really wanted to do. Yeah. Just, just as a hypothetical, if you didn't have this absolutely support system on steroids, what was what would be the possibility that you would have actually like gone out and done all these things? It would have been very difficult. I probably would have spent a lot of time depressed. A lot of time depressed. And one of the things that I realized um, is that as you get older, you don't make friends easily. Mm -hmm. So one of my prayers was to find a group of women who are like-minded that I could associate with as far as my life coaching is um, concerned. So I have sister coaches like all over the country. I have a couple in Canada and we communicate virtually and we have, have had so opportunities to meet up in person. Wow. You know, and so that's what I encourage. Like I like group coaching so that the, because I coach women so that the women can have that support system. You know, people that they are, that are going through the same thing that they're going through together. Because as you get older, you just don't find that if you're not in a a church or, you know, an organization, if you're not in a club or something like that, you don't have those other women who are encouraging you and willing to do things with you, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Wow. I have a whole, I don't know if you know, but I'm writing a book called Masters of Change and you're obviously a master of it. <laughs> and, um, but one of the chapters, so there's eight principles of that people can that use who master change and one of it is having adequate support mm -hmm. and and you know making use of it being able to allow people to help you yes learning how to ask for help mm -hmm. wow well let's see um what else what else do you want to say about your story or what are some, um, ask in a minute to say how to find you and, you know, like okay. what all you do, but what are some, some takeaways you'd like to give? Well, one thing is to try to find your tribe. You know, if your family is not your tribe, find some other people 
who are thinking like you, that you can, who are positive, you know, who can bring encouragement. Um, who aren't threatened by you. Who aren't threatened by you, definitely. Because I had somebody recently say something like that to me, you know. <laughs> Do men get threatened by you? It's like, oh my gosh, that's so dumb. <laughs> but um, yes. Or, or intimidated. Yes, you know. Yes, you know, and so to try to find that per that person or those people, and um, and it can be in person or online. It doesn't, online. you know, like online relationships are legit. Support systems are just priceless. You just have to have a support system to get through life. You can't just do it all alone. That's one thing I I would say, and another thing is to bet on yourself give yourself the chance to see what it's like you know don't say I'm not going to try because I know it's not going to work because you don't know it's not going to work mm -hmm. you don't know that so at least try it try something small if you're afraid to try something big like me making a reservation to fly down to Miami and driving myself all the way to Orlando and leaving my car at the valet. If that's too big, try something small. You know, um, looking on your calendar of events for your community and go and show up for something. Go to a workshop or something, you know, you can do. Go to a restaurant somewhere or do something small. And then you can grow to the bigger things. Yeah, I forgot. You, you just reminded me of another part of my book that's essential in identity transition, um, but I held myself back from interrupting. Oh, no. <laughs> no, which is which so I'm proud of. <laughs> but it, it is all about being willing to to try new things. Oh, I know. One of my one of the things about forced identity transition when the rugs pulled out from under you is that people are tempted to settle. Yes. Because it, there's so many reasons read my book to find out. And but the thing is, and so people who actually master change, they do not settle because they just keep trying, exploring, experimenting, pivoting, iterating, and then, you know, finding where they actually want to, who they want to be, how they want to feel and becoming that person. Yes. Because it because it is very tempting to settle. And also, a lot of times, certain people in your support system, they are disappointed, intimidated, um, trying to block you because they don't like you becoming a new person. Yes, yes. So you have to be careful with who you associate with. Exactly. Because you don't want to associate with somebody who's afraid of losing you. They don't, they want you to stay the same person you've always been yeah. because they don't want to lose that you know, and so they will hold you back, but you got to find somebody who's willing to accept you as the new person, and I know there are times when I have had feelings about death because I grew up sickly, I had heart issues when I was born, and so what I've identified is the old me is dying off, and the new me is flourishing, you know, and 
some people see it and can identify it. And there are others who think whatever they may think, oh, she's acting funny, or she thinks she's better than us, or she can't be happy all the time like that. You know, whatever they think is, it's, it's up to them, but I know what I'm experiencing, you know, and I, I'm enjoying my life. You're, you're trans, you're transforming who mm -hmm. you are. Yes, I miss my husband tremendously. This Christmas has been very um, challenging for me, but I, I'm still enjoying my life. I get to do things that I want to do, be with people I want to be with. And that encourages me and makes my life full. And also choosing people like that also means being willing to let go of people. Yes. It doesn't mean you have to diss them. It doesn't mean you have to, but it just means that they don't, they don't have the same kind of access to you or, you know, you, you're not like your energy is limited. What, I mean, some people you do have to just completely like let go of. And then other ones, you just like sort of change the relationship dynamics because you need something different. Yes. 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 And, and a I, lot of, and a lot of people. So one of the things in like identity loss, forced identity transition is that people have already lost so much. They don't want to lose any more by letting go of people. And, and then they're like, well, then there's not going to be anything. And, but what happens is when there's a void, new things come in to fill yes. it. Like, doesn't this always happen when you give your like clothes to goodwill then you fill up your closet with like really more cool stuff <laughs> yeah that's what I did I lost a lot of weight and so I got rid of all of the clothes that were too big and I was like man I can move the hangers in my closet yeah and slowly but surely I'm pushing them in there now <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah well those are really good uh insights and takeaways and you completely just validated my my whole book. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Because I just made myself some notes to look into the change management theories, mm. you know, how to manage change. Yeah. And so that's good. I'll be looking for your book. Okay. Yeah. Spring, spring of 2023, right around the corner. Oh, yeah. Okay. But listen, I want to know, um, like, what like who do you coach how do they find you how can people find you online you know what what do you do what do you do now that in your new I, oh wait before you give all that i want the before dr pam when you were you know in this happy marriage and now in the middle dr pam when you were like struggling with your tbi in your in your heart surgery mm. and the dr pam now so like three little snapshots like focusing on the identity part like who okay um well before um as a wife my husband and i did almost everything together um we were very much a couple and we learned to enjoy what the other person enjoyed like 
basketball was his life. And so I would get into basketball and I grew up with five brothers. And so I said, when I grow up and move away from home, I'm never watching sports on TV again. And so when I met my husband, he thought it was because I didn't understand sports. And I said, no, it's because I don't like it. I was force fed it. So we did things. And so he learned to shop. And by him being a detective, he's always um, paid a lot of attention to details. So he could go and buy me, like he could go buy this sweater for me that would fit and I would love it. You know, he, he like really knew how to read people and yes, he was really anticipate. Good. Yeah. So we learned to like stuff that the other person liked. And so we did it together. Um, and then while I was struggling, trying to find my way, I was still trying to do some of the things that we were, do, were doing together, watch the same shows, all the police shows on TV and all that. Um, and just going through, what am I gonna do? What am I gonna do next? What am I gonna do next? And trying to keep up with that. You know, what do I do next? What do I do next? And charting my progress, making sure that I keep moving forward. And I uh, connected with another therapist after my grief therapy. I connected with a new therapist because my therapist moved out of state. Mm -hmm. And then after I started with the life coaching and start traveling, now I'm in a stage where I'm doing a lot of networking with other business and professional women in my community. I'm doing a lot of that. And so um, I have a lot of events I'm attending and doing those kinds of things. And it's, it's been really good. It's been good. And on, on top of that, seeing clients. Mm -hmm. Yes. Wow, that's a long journey in a few short years. Yes, in a very short time. It's, it's amazing. I think it's miraculous because um, I just talked to somebody today who had a brother that had a brain bleed and he didn't make it. And I had two. And I'm here today to tell the story. And I function. I couldn't drive for a year. And the first day that I drove, I drove my brand new SUV home from the dealership. I went and bought me a new car. My um, health caregiver, she went, my caregiver went with me and um, she rode in the passenger seat coming back. Oh my goodness. Yeah. How beautiful. Yes. All right. Well, how can people find you? Okay. Well, you can find me on social media on our Facebook and Instagram at Dr. Pam's Place for Coaching. That's Dr. Pam's Place for Coaching. And then you can find me on um, LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn at Dr. Pamela Jackson Smith. And my website is drpamsplace.com. And my website should be live by the 31st of this month because we're building my website now finishing it up December so 31st 2022 yes I should be live okay yes and I work with women age 50 and beyond 
and I help women to repurpose their lives. We repurpose furniture, clothes, cars, all kinds of stuff. But as women, we don't think about after we've had the job, you know, the career, that now I can have another purpose. And so I help women to find that purpose, find that thing that makes you want to jump out of bed in the morning. You know, the thing that excites you, that reignites you. I help women to find that and help them to come up with a plan to implement, you know, what it is that they need to do. And I've had some clients, um, one as old as 81 years old. Um, never too late to yeah, hit it. Never too late to start over. Never too late. Wow. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for this opportunity. It's been wonderful. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. And this has been Julie Brown on Bold Becoming. Hey there. The value that you got from this today, take it into your heart. Add value to it in your own life by putting it into practice and growing it to be part of your life, your daily habits the takeaways that you got from this. Words and thoughts only take us so far. It's implementing on those words and thoughts that will change your life. Ideas are just ideas. Taking action on ideas is where growth happens and freedom emerges from growth. Freedom from our past invisible binding. We're here to grow and release ourselves from our past constraints. With awareness, intention, and through taking action on new choices, we evolve. In this process, we exalt our pain and suffering into wisdom that empowers us. We all have the ability to transform and become that person we yearn to be. If today's episode added value to your life, please share it with others and make sure to subscribe to Bold Becoming Identity Retooled. And if you might, take a minute right now and leave a review so that others can find out about this podcast. If you'd like to contact me for one-on-one coaching or to get on the wait list for my Tough Stories workshop, send me an email and we'll be in touch. Be sure to check out our free Facebook group of Bold Becomers. The link's in the show notes.